0: Game of Thrones, Season 7, Episode 3. The Queen's Justice is over, but we're just getting started on our Game of Thrones deep dive here on Post Show Recaps. And now here the two guys who are slightly less creepy than Bran. I am Rob sister Here is uh, Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you?
1: I'm doing quite well, Rob. <laughs> Things are great. There is no Josh Wiggler. Yeah. I'm the three-eyed writer. I'm the four-eyed, uh, Wiggler. <laughs> four-eyed, yeah. four-eyed the Wiggler. Four-eyed writer. Four-eyed writer. Four-eyed Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. are you, Rob? Yeah. It's so great to be here and to hang out with you and discuss Game of Thrones.
0: Doing well. I really did enjoy last night's Game of Thrones, so excited to uh, dive into everything with you. I know you've been very busy since the episode aired on Sunday
1: night. Yeah. Lots of writing going on over here, as per usual. Uh, Lots to dig into. This was a big episode. In a lot of ways, I think this was the most hyped-up episode uh, maybe ever. Um, You know, maybe just shy of, like, the Red Wedding and everything that happened with Ned Stark. And those are big moments that book readers were really pumped about. And I think there was a lot of buzz behind both of those. But we've been waiting, book readers and show-only viewers alike, for Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen to meet for the first time. And it happened. It's real, uh, and we'll see if uh, Dawn, the sword of the morning, is uh, following along for the ride.
0: Is there a meeting slash reunion on the board that is the new number
1: one, Josh? Mm, like a first meeting? Because I think, like you know, the, the Stark reunions are still exciting, and Arya hasn't made it back to Winterfell quite yet. Seems like that's going to change pretty soon. But in terms of just first encounters, I don't. Think so? I mean, I I guess yes. There is one, uh, but it's less it's less about characters and it's more about concepts. I think when dragons meet White Walkers, that's that's got to be that's going to be epic. Okay. That's going to be huge and that's inevitable. So that's exciting. Whenever we get to that,
0: all right. So we're about to go through everything. Of course, uh, Stephen Fishback and I did the recap after the episode last night. Lots of fun with Stephen on Sunday night. If you want to catch He's doing that, doing a podcast. great job.
1: Oh my god, those podcasts are fun. They're very <laughs> very fun. <laughs> very fun. Uh,
0: you can hear that on our website, postshowrecaps.com or on our iTunes feed at postshowrecaps.com slash G O T iTunes. All right, Josh, I guess let's start with this meeting with uh Jon Snow and Danny. I saw you writing about the uh big takeaways. Did you feel like that this lived up to the hype?
1: I think that it would be it'd be really tough to live up to the hype of something like this. I mean, Game of Thrones is an ensemble show. There are, it seems, like thousands of characters at, at any given moment, and that's certainly uh, that list is shrinking the further and further we get to the end of the line. Uh, but in seriousness, in in terms of this very robust cast, I do think that if you were going to pinpoint, you know, two main characters, like is there a central figure? I think that there are probably there are probably two, maybe three, if you want to include Tyrion. But it's John and Danny, and they've been separate from each other this entire show. They've been on their very very... very specific journeys that are completely unrelated to each other, or at least have been up to this point. Uh, And John and Danny may not be completely unrelated to each other. Uh, But I, I do think that the, the inevitability of these two characters getting together, you know, you really felt that, all along the way, all show long all, all throughout Game of Thrones And to finally get them in the same space There's going to be a lot of pressure On that scene to, to live up To perform, Rob And I think it performed I don't know that it would be possible for it to live up To what was in everybody's minds What's in everybody's heads But there's so much going on In that scene that is just It's, it's funny at points It's you know kind of intense at others uh, It's not immediately satisfying because John and Danny aren't instantly on the same page. So I loved it. I thought it was great. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I thought it was uh, very fun. I mean, part of me was frustrated that they couldn't get on the same page in terms of like, no, 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 no. You guys are supposed to work together. And she was, you know, posturing too much. And it was frustrating that they didn't tell her about how Jon Snow had come back to life. But my question, Josh, is... When Jon Snow ultimately finds out about his Targaryen heritage, you would think, just on a surface level, that him and Danny will be able to say, "Oh, okay, great, we're related, we can move forward together." But do you feel like that Danny is going to look at Jon as a threat, and
1: is his claim
0: to the throne better than hers?
1: Right, like he's already the enemy in the North, as far as she can tell, is what she tells him in that scene. Are you saying will she be a territorial Targaryen? Is she going to be? You know, she's says it in the scene, I am the last Targaryen, when she finds out that she has to co-own that title, which is you know one of her many, 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 many titles, as Missandei listed out in that really wonderful scene, uh, with a really hilarious response from Davos. Is she going to feel threatened by Jon's status as a Targaryen? Is he more uh, legitimate? Is his claim more legitimate? That would depend on, is he a Targaryen bastard or not? Or is he a legitimate Targaryen and he just doesn't know it? I think that's one of the big X-Fact Surrounding that whole question behind where does John come from? How much uh, you know? What was this a, a really top secret thing? Were there people that did know this? Was this on the level to some degree? I think that that is still in play, and we don't know the answer to that. If he is legitimate, if he is a legitimate Targaryen who just doesn't know that he's a legitimate Targaryen, yeah, his claim would be stronger. Um, but I, I don't know. I think for me, what I'm starting to wonder is. How is John going to react if and when he finds out that he is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen? If he finds out that, uh, that story he tells about how the Mad King, your father, Danny, your father burned my grandfather and my uncle to death. Uh, and that those stakes, they don't change at all, even with the fact that he's not Ned Stark's son. That's still his grandfather and his uncle he's talking about. What he doesn't know he's talking about is Both of his grandfathers are in that scene. One of his grandfathers is burning his other grandfather alive when he's talking about the Mad King killing Rickard Stark. Uh, Is he going to be psyched about being a Targaryen, or is this guy really, really into his northern roots? I'm starting to wonder about what that's going to look like. That's a really exciting prospect of when we finally get to that on the show, when John has to contend with his true origin. I don't know that it's going to play as simply as, oh, sweet, I'm a Targaryen, and now I have this responsibility as a Targaryen, I think that we could see a Jon who's very resistant to that or potentially even doesn't really care all that much about it and is still focused on the present matter at hand and I think would still feel more stark than Targaryen almost every day of the week. Right. Um, but I could be very wrong about that read, but that's that's kind of where I'm leaning towards right now.
0: Also, the delivery mechanism of that news in Bran is somebody maybe not the best bedside manner to be able to <laughs> regale that story when it comes to Jon as... I saw when you were born. Yeah, I watched. Yeah. I watched Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna as you were conceived. I was right yeah. there. I it saw really, it. I saw everything. Like oh, it was really? Gross. God,
1: stop. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yeah. want all of the details? <laughs> I can give them to you. Very, very, very vivid graphic description. Yeah, Bran's got to work on that. And that, that's the thing is like, who who knows how John is going to get this news? I do think that by the end of this episode, you're getting the sense that John is in Dragonstone at least for a little while. I think that he and Daenerys still need to flesh out their dynamic a little bit further, and he's there overseeing some of this mining of the Dragon Glass, I would imagine, for a minute or two. So, when is he going to get back to Winterfell and even get that news from Bran, it could be a while. Um, I know that this is something that some people are uh, frustrated with is just like the slow process of the show acknowledging out loud that John is a Targaryen. And I think that this episode played with that knowledge uh, in some very fun ways. Uh, The whole, the last Targaryen line from Daenerys did not go over my head. I thought that was great. Uh, The dragons literally went over John's head just after he says I'm not a Stark. So the show is definitely winking and nodding at the people who already know this. It has acknowledged it at least in some promotional materials shortly after season six. they, They definitely confirmed that John is Rhaegar Targaryen's son, but it just hasn't been said out loud on the show. And I do get the sense that they are really saving that. Uh, I don't know if that's the greatest choice to to withhold that reveal for too long. Uh, but whether or not you like it, that's the feeling that I'm getting. Is that, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear the words. Rhaegar Targaryen is your father to John until no! season eight, Rob. I think I think yeah, exactly. It's after uh, uh no, Jamie's already got the market cornered on uh behanding. So <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. But right. uh I, I do I do think I, I can see a scenario where it takes until the very end of Game of Thrones, like the final season, the final couple of episodes even for that information to come to light.
0: Really, you feel like that we could potentially go through the rest of this and a six episode season eight having this information that John doesn't know and watch him go through all of the uh, adventures and the the trials and tribulations and not know this information?
1: I don't think that it's completely off the table. Uh, I also don't think it's completely off the table that John may never find out. Uh, I don't know. I think it'd be it'd be tough. It would be it would be a lot of delayed gratification and not satisfying uh, the promise that is that is out there of of, of uh, John learning that he is the prince who is promised. But I think that that in its way is a very Game of Thrones thing to do.
0: Now, unless something happens to Bran, John still has to go north. He still has to go back to Winterfell. That Bran is there, unless there's like some other assassin in the midst that wants to take out Bran, and we have to believe that Bran still has a bigger role to play. He's not going anywhere,
1: Bran, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know that I would feel comfortable saying there's no chance that Bran isn't going anywhere. Um I think that, you know, a lot of these stories have been Where's unpredictable going? in that regard. Who knows? He's talking about how I need to learn how to see better. Like I'm not I'm not done with with perfecting the vision of the three-eyed raven and I I could totally see the scenario where bran is not in winterfell by the time that john comes back um so i i don't know if it's if it's likely i would really it's kind of a coin toss for me at this point i'm so used to getting my heart broken by Mm -hmm. game of thrones rob that i'm that i'm like emotionally steeled for the possibility that it's going to take a really long time if it ever happens that the show out loud acknowledges who john's father is rather than letting that be something that's understood by the audience and something that's fueling The story beneath the surface, but is never said out loud. I think that that's not an option that's off the table. Uh, But it's also, you know, of course, very likely that John comes back to Winterfell and has a very awkward conversation with his brother.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Tyrion Lannister and uh, the decisions that he has made in this season. Josh, do you feel like that
1: Tyrion is in danger of losing his spot as Hand of the Queen? Oh, my God. That would be that would be brutal. So now we're talking about another Lannister brother losing his status as a hand. Yes. Uh, so yes, Another shakeup. Man, I I don't know what you would do with Tyrion at that point and I do think that Daenerys has a lot of love and respect for Tyrion. So it's hard for me to imagine that she would just completely cast him out. And I don't know where that character goes narratively if he is uh if he is out of the Targaryen regime. But it's not looking great. It's not looking great for Tyrion. You know, that's really a 0 for 2 since coming back to Westeros with the Greyjoy fleet getting destroyed, the rest of the ships getting destroyed, and the Unsullied getting stranded at Casterly Rock. And kudos to Tyrion for coming up with the plan for actually seizing Casterly Rock. That was fairly genius, uh, but didn't account for the fact that Cersei does not really feel a lot of sentimentality about anything right now. And so for Cersei, she doesn't care if she's giving up Casterly Rock. She's focused on King's Landing, and Highgarden is pretty cool as well, and it's a lot wealthier than uh, Casterly Rock is these days. So it makes a lot of sense from her vantage point and what we know of that character right now, that she would be totally fine giving up Casterly Rock. And it's a big miscalculation on Tyrion's part. And it feels kind of out of character in a way, but maybe the thing with Cersei's story is we've been underestimating her all along. You know, Lady Elena before she dies, really, and all right, uh, she really does have this great line about my my prize weakness was a failure of imagination. And I and I do think that there is this sense that Cersei has gone underestimated for so long. We entered season seven thinking that it would be a pretty short trip uh, to to Westeros to, to King's Landing before Danny takes over. Because what does Cersei have on her side? And here we are, three episodes deep, and Cersei is really leading the pack because she's just so willing to be. Be so unpredictable and so barbaric in her ways, and so ruthless, and you know would make uh, Tywin Lannister blush over the Red Wedding with some of the things that she's done and some of the crimes uh, that you know some of the some of the punishments that she's doled out. Uh, so I think maybe there is that sense that Cersei's just underestimated. Otherwise, you kind of you're, you're stretching to to justify why Tyrion is swinging and missing so badly on this. You know, this is this is a guy who cooked up the the plan to take out Stannis Baratheon at the Battle of the Blackwater. So otherwise it feels a little bit out of character that Tyrion would be snoozing so much.
0: It seems as though th- the show is going in the direction where the Tyrion's plans uh, are too clever by half. And they've used that word a couple of times. Lady Elena warns uh, Daenerys like, hey, I, you know, I avoid these clever men. We saw in the trailer for next week Danny is saying no more clever plans. This is the uh, second time already this season where one of Tyrion's plans has uh, backfired. And then also, don't forget everything that was going on with the Masters last season with uh, that prolonged negotiation, which ultimately ended up going nowhere. Do you feel like that this is a bad omen for Tyrion? And if so, if Danny is getting out of the clever business, what does he do then?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you can't get out of the clever business. Uh, there's, you know, Tyrion has no other business. He is he is the clever business. And I, I think that that's such a great part of the show, is Tyrion being witty and being lippy and snarky he drinks uh, and he knows things he drinks and he knows things that's his brand and i don't think uh i don't think that brand is going to be subdued anytime soon unlike the brand who's hanging out in winterfell right. so i i don't know i think Tyrion will get his groove back i think where where we are right now on the show is because the deck was so stacked against cersei coming into this season i do think that there was a sense of the narrative needs to kind of even that out a little bit give cersei a leg or two to stand on on uh, and have her be somebody who's competitive in this war for the Iron Throne because as you and I talked about a little bit during the road to Westeros, I don't see it as elegantly as this is the season of ending the war for the Iron Throne and then the final season is just dealing with the White Walkers. I think that these things can happen at the same time. Uh, and I think Cersei has been such a foundational character on Game of Thrones that to just com- completely wipe her off the board before the final season of the show that just doesn't feel right to me. So I think that there's a little bit of a rebalancing of the scales and in time, maybe soon, maybe it'll take a little while longer, I think you'll see Tyrion get his groove back because it's just not a great look for Tyrion and we want to see Tyrion pull out some wins at least before uh, all is said and done if things don't ultimately work out in his favor. So I think that Tyrion's going to stay Hand of the Queen. I think Tyrion is going to get in a word a word in edge wise with the whole uh, war against the Lannisters. I think we're going to see some victories for him. I think potentially even we now have the door open for, um, for Tyrion Tyrion and Jamie to at least partly reconcile or at least to start the healing process now that Jamie knows who is actually responsible for the death of Joffrey.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. In terms of Jamie finding out about that Tyrion was actually innocent, uh, Stephen and I were talking about that on Sunday night. Do you think that that does sort of redefine how Jamie looks at Tyrion or is the murder of Tywin uh, too much of a cross to bear or a crossbow to bear in that situation? <laughs> Cross,
1: crossbow to Bear Island. Yeah, I think that you. I think you were the one who said that. Like you could see them coming together and being like, "All right, well, you know, Tywin got what was coming. He was kind of a. He was kind of a bad dude. He sort of deserved it. I think you could. You could see Jamie giving Tyrion a pass on that." eventually if their interests aligned enough that they should work together and I do think a story that is being threaded is that you know Jamie was on this redemption arc for a a hot minute he's somebody that we certainly like a lot more now than we did at the beginning of the series and yet we don't love that he's working with an absolute monster and in her you know dying words Lady Olenna is calling him you poor fool she's gonna be the end of you there is a lot of uh, I think there are a lot of people who are expecting um, you know based on prophecy from the books and based on just the dynamics of the show that Jamie somehow will be Cersei's undoing and, you know, potentially vice versa, that these two who have been so intertwined from birth, you know, uh, hanging on to an ankle on the way out, you know, that's, you know, the stuff of legend, uh, that these two will, the way that they were brought into the world together will, will leave the world together as well. And I think that, we're seeing how obsessed with Cersei Jamie is this season at this point he's really willing to defend her um, but I, I think that there's going to come a moment where he's just not going to be able to process this stuff anymore he's not going to be able to sit idly by as Cersei is concocting plans to flay old women and hang them in King's Landing like he's not always going to be able to convince Cersei to change that plan into a non not painful poisoning um, so I, I think that that reckoning is coming at some point. And I think that's where you could see Jamie and Tyrion start to heal some of their wounds is if Jamie really does finally eventually realize that man, the Cersei's gone mad and I got to do something about this. I think that's where you'll start to see these two characters heal the rift. And I expect that we'll see something like that. Before the end of the show, so
0: Josh, where do you think that fault line is? Is it over Tyrion? Could it be over somebody like Brienne? Is there anything else that Jamie cares strongly enough that he's willing to go to the mats with Cersei? Yeah,
1: I mean, imagine a scenario where they're on the battlefield, or the 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 war has finally come to King's Landing, and Cersei has like you know locked herself up in the Red Keep with nothing but an enormous crossbow and a few Kingsguard to keep her company, and Brienne is leading the charge to come in and to save the day and to dethrone Cersei and Cersei is about to like shoot her with her gigantic crossbow like in that situation hold can't on imagine is Jaime this a <laughs>
0: Brienne is tall joke that we need to have the giant crossbow <laughs> no. to take
1: out Brienne Kyber made one be, for her too it could be a mini crossbow if you want it okay. could be any size crossbow. I think a
0: regular size crossbow would do her in
1: I think that if Jamie saw that the that the Lannister forces uh, you know just like to get away from the crossbows and paint a different picture if Brienne is on a battlefield yeah. and she is in in great danger where the Lannister forces are uh, are about to to take her down I feel like you could see maybe that's a point where Jamie starts to have a uh, a change of heart these two characters seem to be intertwined in some way as well she seems to represent the hope that there is life outside of Cersei Lannister so I think that that, that that's a potential fault line. And I think um, Tyrion, if he makes reasonable requests of Jamie and has a reasonable conversation with Jamie, he might be able to talk some sense into him eventually as well. Josh, how sad were you to see Lady Elena go out last night? Uh, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. It's a great scene. You know, uh, Diana Rigg brought so much to the show while she was here. She never
0: did not deliver any time she was on the screen in the... Since she came into the yeah. mix, what, in season three she every single time she was on she never had a scene where it was like "Ah, she was
1: okay in that scene she was batting a thousand yeah that's impressive (laughs) you know i don't i don't know that there's anybody else on game of thrones that you could say that about maybe the red viper red viper seemed like he uh uh, the too soon to, st- to to talk about people from Dorne. I mean, that was a really touchy subject this week as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the, the Queen of Thorns. It's it's a shame that we've lost her. Yet another big loss for uh, for Danny's side of things. The Unsullied are stranded. Everyone from Dorne they've been taken. Dorne is rudderless right now. So who knows if she has any sort of uh, you know potential to to turn to the people who are left behind there. The fleet is gone. Now we've lost the Queen of Thorns and Highgarden has fallen so it's very bad for danny's side of things and it also just stinks for us because we are we are denied future scenes between lady elena and cersei lannister those were always some of my favorites to watch whenever those two it would uh would clash uh but that being said it's such a good final scene uh and i think that that's really all you can ask for in game of thrones like more often than not you're not walking out of this thing by just like rowing away from Dragonstone never to be seen again like usually something awful happens to you where you're killed and this really was as um, as Benioff and Weiss as the showrunner said in their uh, inside the episode feature after the episode they talk about how even in her death scene the Queen of Thorns wins like she gets to have the final say she gets to have the final word and she gets to die pretty peacefully all things considered so all that being said I'm at least happy for that, that we didn't have to see like the alternate universe that Cersei had pitched of how things would have gone for the Queen of Thorns. I don't think I could have handled that.
0: Okay, we also lost Tyene Sand. Pour one out for her. Uh, oh
1: my God, pour out the, uh, the the long goodbye for her, right?
0: Right, or whatever it's called,
1: uh, as uh, Cersei said. So the long farewell or the long goodbye, one of yeah. those two. Is this
0: also a wrap for Hilaria Sand? Do you think we see her again? Um, I don't know.
1: Uh, man, it, how awful is that? as like the end for the Dornish storyline if that's truly it and we never revisit anybody from Dorn again uh, nobody has had it worse on Game of Thrones if that's the case and I'm including like the Starks in that like just the way that everybody that we have met from Dorn has just been completely eviscerated whether that is physically or emotionally it's been really really bad and maybe we're not crying too much about it because you know they're the characters from Dorn and they didn't really pop on the show except for Oberyn when he died. I think that there's that factor. Ah, Is it the last time we're ever going to see Ilaria? Well, I certainly hope that we don't see any scenes where she's just watching her daughter's body decomposed. Mm-hmm. That sounded awful. That's best left to the imagination at this point.
0: What about uh, Melisandra with Varys? I thought that that was an interesting conversation because everything with Melisandra you have to sort of uh, take with a grain of salt of, is this prophecy? Does she know something? And she seemed to imply that uh, not only herself, but Varys uh, very specifically
1: will die in Westeros. Yeah, uh, I thought that that was a, a really kind of, um kind of a, a really chilling scene. And I think that there's a lot there. The moment she says to Varys, oh, I'm coming back to Westeros. I have to die in this strange country. And so do you. Uh, You know, as Stephen rightly pointed out, like, yeah, eventually everybody dies. And why is Varys leaving Westeros? But the, the reaction he has to that line is he seems very unsettled by what Melisandre said. And I think to connect that back to Varys' past is we know from previous scenes and from Varys himself talking about this story that when he was castrated and it was done in sacrifice uh, as as a magical ritual that he looked into the flames and there was a voice that called to him and we, the viewer, don't know what the flames said. Uh, but this is evoked back in, I believe, in season six when the Red Priestess comes to Meereen to talk to, to Varys and Tyrion, and that is kind of brought back up again. And here it is again, coming from Melisandra. I think that this is a very bad sign if you're a Varys fan. I do think that this is, this is putting it out there that Varys will die on the show. Uh, I don't think that he will be one of these people who gets to live a happily ever after. And I think it indicates that whatever this flame whispered to Varys, it had something to do with telling him about the how and the why or the what or the when of how he dies, uh, it seems like he has some of that knowledge already and Melisandre's comments here are kind of reinforcing what he heard from the flames once upon a time. So I know you love Varys, Rob. I certainly love Varys. But this really feels kind of like a nail in the coffin for that character to me that oh, this no. is a character who's not going to make it out of Game of Thrones and alive. we
0: saw him one time literally removing nails from a coffin <laughs> to <laughs> right. take out
1: that wizard. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and then for the Melisandra aspect of it, she's also talking about how I'm supposed to die here in Westeros. So that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that's something to, to, to track and to, to see where that's going to go. And I say it's kind of fun because there is another prophecy that Mel Melisandre had issued earlier in the series Mm -hmm. where she crosses paths with Arya Stark uh, and she says to Arya, we will meet again and we have still not seen the payoff on that. So is the implication there that Arya is somehow going to be involved in Melisandre's death? Maybe, but it at least suggests to me that, Melisandra doesn't die without having seen Arya first. We know that Arya is going back up to Winterfell right now, and we know that Melisandra is heading to Volantis, and I know that we've been worried about Arya's safety for the past few podcasts. I think this at least buys Arya some time. Like, I feel like this at least extends whatever bad fate could possibly be awaiting her in the future. She has to survive long enough to cross paths with Melisandre, who has to come back to Westeros, and that feels like season eight material. So that makes me feel good about these characters lasting for a while at the very least, and then, you know, whoever gets to to take out Melisandre, if that's Arya or somebody else, it won't happen without having had a scene of these two characters together again. So uh, buys Arya a little bit more time on the show at the very least, so that's good. Okay, Arya had the
0: bye week this week. We didn't get to see anything from her in episode three, but we did get to see that Bran and Sansa reunion up at Winterfell. It was so exciting. Do you feel like is Bran post Three-Eyed Raven and and post everything with uh, losing Hodor and the Night's King, is he fundamentally a different person now?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can understand a little bit of trauma from that experience, uh, for one thing. For another, you know, if what he is saying is accurate, like imagine living that life of like, now I see everything all the time. Uh like you and Steven were talking about, like the literalization of Littlefinger's suggestion to Santa of like fight every battle at all times, see every possibility, and nothing will surprise you. That's the life that Bran is very much living right now. And also by his own admission, it's hard to see this this clearly. It's hard to see things clearly. He doesn't have um you know full mastery over his skill Yet, and he needs to refine those. But you could imagine someone with that skill set being. Fairly detached from humanity, and potentially eventually being very attached to a tree. Uh, So this could be, you know, the start of like watching Brand be less than human and and more truly like a three eyed raven, and being a little bit more like the Max von Sydow version of the character. So it's a little alarming. I think it's a it's a little alarming. Also, if you're if you're still tracking the theories about uh, Brand the Breaker, which is sort of the antithesis of Brand the Builder, who's the a mythical figure in Westeros who allegedly built the wall and did that in uh, conjunction with the children of the forest and imbued the wall with magical properties to keep the white walkers out. And there is a pet theory among some people that maybe Bran is going to fulfill the opposite end of that destiny and somehow be responsible for bringing the wall down. Uh, that's why people were so fascinated with the, uh, the mark that he received from the night King. And if he passes through the wall, is that going to allow the white walkers to come through uh, I have already said why I don't think that that's going to be the case. But you do worry about a guy who is as detached from humanity as Bran is, is as powerful as Bran is, and is also... As removed from being like fully in control of those powers as he seems to be so far, so it's alarming. It's alarming, and at the very worst, he's now going to be an incredibly unpleasant guy to be around because he's just going to remind you of like all of the worst things that happened to you. He's going to like bring up all of like your most embarrassing stories. Like John, remember that one time you were really sick back in uh, <laughs> during during that feast where you drank too much and you, you cried because you were a bastard. And John's like, "Okay, we're good." We're good. We don't need to talk about that anymore.
0: Also, John, that hot springs with Ugres, up top. <laughs> high five! Nice job there. Nice yeah, job. Exactly. Good, exactly. Good work. Get
1: out. Get out of my memories. <laughs> Leave. <laughs> Leave this place. Leave this place. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like you know with Bran having so much access to so much history of Westeros and uh, now being brought back into the main story in the way that he's been brought back into it. Do you feel like this is a character that can really <laughs> be around Game of Thrones for too long? Or is yeah. this the kind of person that's like just too powerful to have in the mix right now?
0: Well, I'm trying to rack my brain of like, what are some other things that Sansa probably should know? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of good little finger dirt that he should probably be telling her like, uh, oh yeah, by the way, uh, uh uh, Lord Baelish that you hang out with all the time. Let me tell you some things about him. He was involved in a lot of bad stuff that maybe you, are, you might want to know. Remember dad? Like he had a lot to do with him being dead. You know, he's not the good guy that maybe that you even think he might be a little bit. Definitely not. Uh, but just to go back to Bran traveling through time that we feel like that he is looking at people at all sorts of inappropriate moments. The irony of all ironies with that, Josh, is the reason that he ended up being crippled was because he ended up walking in on uh, Jamie and Cersei at a most That's inopportune
1: right. time. So he's true. continued that pattern, it looks like. Oh my God, yeah. Hey, get out of Brand, here! Brand! you gotta stay out of people's business. Like, just pick and choose your battles. All
0: right, so we have Bran and Sansa at Winterfell. Josh, do you believe that we are getting Arya back there soon?
1: Yeah, I mean, we can talk about the trailer here, right? Go for it. I mean, she's in the trailer. Uh you know, there's a it's a blink and you'll miss it uh moment, but there is there's somebody on a horse. That is looking out at Winterfell. And that certainly appears to be Arya Stark to me. Uh, so yeah, I think we're in for two Stark family reunions in a row here. And hopefully this one's a little more emotional than the Sansa and Bran reunion. I feel like that's probably gonna be the case. Uh, but Arya and Bran, they might, you know, this might be the person who can really start to to break Bran down a little bit and like get him to open up. Like, oh, you can see everything, I can change bases, like I can shape shift. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe what they'll you speak- do Sansa. <laughs> Yeah, eat lemon cakes. Like, and, uh, you know, well, I could read minds. <laughs> yeah, make really make really good decisions here as a as a leader. Uh, yeah, so I think Arya coming back with uh, some uh, some mystical mumbo jumbo under her belt uh, or under her face. Uh, I think will uh, we'll hopefully make for a, a more pleasant conversation than what Sansa and Bran had to, uh, had to discuss. And what about uh, Theon
0: being picked up? We had speculated about where does he go next? I don't think that we talked about, like, could his own men just pick him back up and then just be disgusted <laughs> with him?
1: Yeah, he got picked up by the, the one ship that made it out of that disaster alive. Mm. Good for you. Good luck for Theon. Uh, yeah, well, you and I talked about that last week of where could we see See Theon's story going, uh, and I had floated out my feeling that i that i I feel like Theon's destiny, if he survives the series, lies at whatever is left of Castle Black or you know keeping the realms of men safe from the dangers beyond. The wall, if the wall exists at that point too, uh, and I and I just wondered, like, how would we get there? Like, that's my sense of, of where a character like that could go. It would be, you know, the ultimate act for somebody who needs kind of eternal redemption. The the watch is where you go for that. And I think maybe now we have a little bit more of a clue of how that could happen. He's picked up by Iron Islanders. You got to assume that these guys are going to head back to Dragonstone to report back to their boss. Uh, and Jon Snow happens to be at Dragonstone, so I feel like we. Could could be in for a a scene between these two guys. They would have a lot to catch up on. Uh, It might not be super pleasant if these two guys cross paths again, but I think if we're trying to figure out where Theon is going and if Castle Black is in the cards for a guy like that. I think uh, the ticket there could be through Jon Snow, and it certainly suggests to me that Theon is going to have a scene, at least with Jon. Uh, Again, in the preview, it looks like Theon is returning to Dragonstone in one shot, so I think that's something to watch for next week. We were also trying to piece
0: together on Sunday night what happened to Yara. We saw her march through the streets of King's Landing, but it seems like a prisoner that Cersei does not have a lot of use for. I mean, the Greyjoys uh, did not do anything to piss Cersei off at any point during the series, correct?
1: Not that I can recall, not really, but I think that maybe it will be as simple as like, you're on, do whatever you want. Like, you know, you've earned the right to have a gift yourself. Uh, so that's not great news for Yara, given how sadistic Euron seems to be. Um, but I, but I do think maybe we're looking at you know kind of like the you know if if Theon went through the whole Reek ringer once upon a time. That I don't know that it's going to be quite that bad for Yara here. Uh, but I do think that we will we will probably uh, have a sidelined Yara for a little bit, and hopefully you know Theon will be involved in rescuing her at some point. I would like to see those two Wouldn't siblings. In silent reunite, but I wouldn't bet on it either. <laughs> All right, what about somebody else that we wouldn't have bet on, but here he is, who's
0: made a full recovery, Sir Jorah, Grayscale is in the rearview mirror.
1: That's ridiculous, right? Like, <laughs> just straight up, it's that's ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? Because like the, the whole thing, it's also kind of irresponsible, right? Like you're not supposed to pick your scabs. And the cure for grayscale is picking your scabs. Like, that's, that's ultimately and what the what is. What you the put messages? some sort of an ungent on it as okay. well. Okay. Alright. I guess I'm uh, underrating the ungent. The pungent Nobody ungent. thought of that before. No. no, That was just not uh, something people were doing. But yeah, I think um, I'm not entirely sure what the whole point of doing the grayscale thing was. If all that was going to happen was Jorah was going to meet up with Sam, get his grayscale chiseled off, get some ointment applied, and then he just ships on back to Dragonstone. That, to me, just feels like kind of like spinning wheels with Joram Mormont. So, uh, I'm not entirely sure why uh, why we did all of that. And I, I do find the cure for Grayscale to be at least a little tiny bit ridiculous, if not a lot of bit ridiculous. <laughs> you never know that Sam could end up
0: now that he has this power, maybe he could be heading to go fix all the stone men, and they could be part of Danny's army.
1: He's, uh, Sam the Slayer returns, he's slaying all that Grayscale.
0: <laughs> he's going to open up shop, and Old Valeria.
1: Sam, Sam the Flayer. Yeah, old oh, Valeria. Hey, that's right near Dragonstone, anyway. <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, not really that close, but they're, they're, connected. Close they're enough, connected. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> close enough. What do you think about uh, Sam's new job? Uh, it certainly seems cleaner than his uh, sure, most recent but, gigs. He's, uh, <laughs> he's now the, the official Citadel photocopier. But until those paper mites start to uh, bite at your fingers. Listen, once again, I interviewed John Bradley last week. He promised that we had seen the grossest Sam scene of the season so far. So hopefully the book mites so aren't far. going to be that Bad. But I mean, I guess that could mean that, like, I mean, look, the the standards are pretty high for just like how nasty those two Sam scenes were. Uh, so the Bookmites could still be bad. It's just like third place uh, in compared to to the to the to the duty montage uh, and also to the grayscale flaying scene. Uh, third place would be uh, appropriate for the Bookmites, but that could be you know first place on just about any other show. So we might be in for some nastiness there. But I do wonder. Um, is there going to be something in like one of these books that Sam is like upset that he has to has to you know work on? Is he going to find something in here that's going to be useful to the cause? That's my bet right now. Is like that's the next development for Sam. But what else is there? I don't know. There's got to be more than just the dragon glass, right? Like there's got to be some other hot, useful tips.
0: I don't know. The other things that we talk about in terms of magic are things about like bringing the wall down. Now, that doesn't seem like something that would be useful for the good guys, but something that would be useful for the bad guys. So I don't know if there's necessarily like some sort of spell to help out the dragons i i don't know what else uh, there is that they could figure out that is going to help them in their cause
1: well there's got to be something because why else will sam eventually leave the citadel unless he's just here for the rest of the show and i can't imagine that that's going to be the case like you got to feel like this guy is going to rejoin the battle at some point so he's got to find something that's going to be important enough to get him back on the road and get him back towards Jon snow uh otherwise i don't know why we're continuing to spend time in the citadel uh, so I think that he's got to find something important still, uh, and I think that in in these books, these you know these dusty old rotting books filled with book mites, I think that that's where where Sam's gonna strike gold next.
0: And then speaking of gold, what about uh, Cersei's dealings with the Iron Bank? It does seem like that that was a weird storyline to bring into the mix here at this late date. I don't think anybody was gonna be saying like, hey, whatever happened to all the money that the crown owed to the Iron Bank? Why do you feel like that? we're getting the storyline at this point
1: yeah, I don't know. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm excited that like Cersei like gave us some sort of timeline here. She says to to Tycho, she says, uh, "Give me a fortnight, and you will see that I'm the right cause to back." So that's a that's two weeks of action here. So hopefully we've got like you know two weeks of story in Game of Thrones. That would be a that would be a fun, exciting uh, pace at this point in the story. That like maybe that's how much time we've got left in this war before we start turning our eyes north. Um, so there's that. That was the first thing that I really liked about it uh, but the deeper she gets in trouble with uh with you know all of these various people that she is making alliances with that she won't be able to satisfy her promises on that could be that could be great you know she could really screw up the entire globe honestly if she somehow betrays the iron bank like if she continues to use their funds and then she wins the war and she just torches the iron bank who knows what she's going to do? Um, so I'm, I'm not really entirely sure where... It's a big move to torch the bank. It would be a In big Brados. move. But, but, you know, that's a, that's a Lannister repaying their debts writ large. So I think that there's something fun to, to have there. I don't know where it's going. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a lingering thread from once upon a time. And it does feel like Game of Thrones wants to, wants to tie those threads up as much as they can uh, as, we're, as we're moving into the end game here. Are
0: you enjoying the Cersei Renaissance, Josh?
1: I'm kind of loving the Cersei yeah. Renaissance. no, it's been very good. I really have enjoyed it. Good for her. You know, I think her. It's, like, you know it's, not, it's not what I expected. Uh, you know, I kind of expected certainly like, um, you know, moves of desperation from Cersei and I kind of expected her uh, as we sort of forecasted like some sort of like King's Landing hostage crisis effectively uh, that she could take the whole city hostage and there's an element of that that's in play. Like that's why Danny isn't just like going into King's Landing because thousands of people will die. Um, but I didn't really count on the fact that she's just going to use her, her Lannister wits. And again, like Cersei kind of defying the expectation of like, uh, you know, that that famous thing that Tyrion says to her once upon a time, like, you're not, you know, half as, as smart as you think you are, uh, or whatever the quote it, itself right. was. But, but I, I, I think that there's, you know, we've, we've been underestimating her, uh, yeah. a failure of imagination on all of our parts, and, I, and I'm enjoying it. I think it's fun. Turns out she might be the princess who is promised. Oh, my
0: God really? <laughs> Probably She's the not third head of the dragon. Probably not. You wouldn't think uh. so. But um, yeah, lots so. of fun. Josh, I can't believe that after next week's episode, we'll be more than halfway through season seven of Game of Thrones.
1: That's yeah, pretty wild. Uh, yeah. Moving, moving at a clip here, Game of Thrones. Uh, and then there's only, you know, there's only nine episodes left of the whole show at this point. Yeah. Pretty wild stuff. OK, Josh, great work. Uh,
0: I saw that you also uh, talked with Grey Worm over on The Hollywood Reporter. What did Grey Worm have to say?
1: Yeah, Jacob Anderson. He's great. Uh, he's, I really like talking to that guy. Uh, he is uh, you know he comes across as so serious on Game of Thrones, right? Like, you know, Grey Worm is uh, a bit of a robot, a little bit of a Terminator a lot of the time. And we're seeing the softening of Grey Worm. We're seeing the humanization of Grey Worm uh, this season and have been for a couple of seasons now. But he's still a very serious guy. Jacob Anderson's a really lighthearted guy, uh, likes to crack jokes, is pretty funny. Uh, a really talented uh, musician. I didn't realize this until, fairly recently uh, and when I was uh, interviewing him he was in the middle of working on his second album uh, so uh, I believe Rally Richie is the name of his uh, is his uh, pseudonym as a, as a musician. Uh, good stuff to, to listen to. Track that down. He's he's pretty talented. Okay, alright, good stuff Josh, we have our feedback show coming up here on Post Show Recaps.
0: Everybody can get their questions in for us. GOT at postshowrecaps.com or postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail What do you have coming up for the rest of the week, Josh?
1: More, uh, more deep dives into various corners of and various corners of uh of game of thrones season seven speaking of varus hopefully speaking with conleth hill this week uh hoping to to speak with indira varma who plays alaria sand as well that is hopefully in the works uh and a couple of other stories here and there but a lot of uh i'm really in the the john and danny trenches right now uh shipping that pretty hard okay when you say you're shipping it do you feel like romantically i mean like that's kind of awkward. Uh, But hey, listen, uh, we're like kind of uh, we're kind of like inoculated to incest on Game of Thrones at this point. So, you know, weirder things have happened.
0: Weirder things have happened. All right. Great stuff, Josh. Thanks, everybody, for checking out this episode. We are looking forward to getting into your feedback on Wednesday over on postshowrecaps.com. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.